Welcome to the show, everybody. So great to have you back with us again this week. Jeff's back. I am. Sasha's here. How here. are you? Good am. to see you both. Yeah. See how I did that? Awesome. Hey, this week, yeah, thanks. We uh, This week, we are going to be turning an Odroid N2. See this little SBC down here? It's very small. It's uh, very powerful, incidentally, but it doesn't generate a lot of heat, doesn't make any noise, and it doesn't use a lot of electricity. But we're going to be turning it into a full-fledged lamp stack, a.k.a. a web server to host our websites. Good times. Stick around. You're going to find out how we can do that. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. Nice to have you here for episode number 613. Good times. 613 weeks of putting up with the bald nerd. Wow. So thanks. I don't know if you can call it putting up with. Just... More like indulging. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Appreciate that, world. Appreciate that very, very much. That's actually, that would be a fun, like, binge-watching marathon event. Because I know some of our viewers actually do, episodes? like, watch right from the beginning and go right, right on through to current. Let's watch the evolution <laughs> of cameras. I, I feel like that takes Netflix and chill to a whole new level. Because that's, like, what, two months' worth? If we you didn't stop. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. We do have long winters here, so. There you go. <laughs> Your Canadian winter can be spent watching Category 5 That's TV. Right. The archives. I don't believe there was ever a time in the history of the show, in the full 12, almost 13 years, when I had a full head of hair. Just didn't happen. No, but remember that one time I saw a clip of you and you had and you some laughed. hair? I yeah. was not expecting just, that. Just I picked on the sides. Like, it's all I can do. Since birth. I, don't, I just didn't know you, you as somebody with hair. Thanks I was going to say, I think even like your wedding photos, there was not as Some much. thinning going on. Yeah. 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 I yeah. do react the same way when I see pictures of Dave, who is bald. Mm-hmm. He used to have very long hair. And oh, yes. it's strange. Like, it's not that he looks strange, but it's like I only know you and him as ah, bald, right? right? Like, And then it's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine Mr. Clean, like, if they rebranded and gave him, like, Fabio's hair? A man bun? Right, exactly. (laughs) It just wouldn't, it just would feel weird. That's funny. Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. The first time ever. 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 That Cat 5 has aired after the NBA championships were won by a Canadian team. Oh, Oh, I almost wore This a episode is like history in the making. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. In case anybody has no clue what we're talking happened. about, the inventors of the basketball have finally won at the basketball. Yeah. Well done. That's right. Canada. We the North. <laughs> Everybody is going, what are you talking about? Yeah. The Raptors. Everybody's like, won. everybody's like, what does that have to do with tech? I'll tell you what it has to do with tech. Absolutely nothing. Right. 
I will. That's a little bit of Canadian pride. This That's is a Canadian true. show. Absolutely. Canadian Absolutely. pride. Absolutely. Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so moving on with the tech. (laughs) Have you tried installing Windows Update uh, as of late? Um, They've done it once again. Okay. Microsoft has released uh, an update that bricks a lot of systems. Now, this one is unique, so listen up if you use data encryption on your hard drive. Uh, Products like Deslock Plus, uh, ESET Endpoint Encryption, if you use those to encrypt your data... The 1903 update from Microsoft will actually brick your system. Ah, uh, that's not good. Yeah. Oh. So make sure you check if you use uh, encryption technology to protect your data on your Windows 10 machine. Make sure you check with your vendors before you go and uh, opt in for that update. And you might even consider, in that case, if you, if you use those kinds of products, uh, maybe block that update until vendors figure out what's going on. Now, this is new news, and um, so they're still trying to get to the bottom of maybe by the time you watch this, they will have patched the patch or something like that but as it is they're still looking into what's actually happening right yeah. it's so strange that See, they keep doing this I, I have a theory about what's microsoft happening. trying rolling updates well yeah i was gonna say i have a theory about what's happening and it's called people continue to install windows oh yeah good yeah. theory yeah that's that's the problem so just stop <laughs> go for next yeah. Sure. Oh, speaking of installing Windows, you could you could use Luke's to <laughs> to do the encryption. I could. I could. <laughs> yes. Uh, I happened to install Windows XP on a computer earlier this week, simply because why? You you experi- like experimenting with danger. Well, it was not connected <clears throat> to the network in any way, but simply right. because I was going through old disks. Yeah. And I found my Windows XP. I was like, I have to install this just just because. for fun. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I did, I'm like, going to Linux. And it was a very satisfying moment. <laughs> you actually sat there and pressed the... I did. It's an onerous installation process on Shockingly, XP2. it was like 10 minutes because <clears throat> yeah. the computer oh, was just screaming fast. Oh, just so much faster these yeah. days. So yeah. it's like, it's going to take half an Brilliant. hour. Oh, you're done. I was like, okay, good <laughs> Shows what you know. That's right. Uh, before we jump into the show today, I want to remind you to make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to click the bell. That is going to notify you anytime we post brand new shiny videos or when we go live. This week we are looking at the Odroid N2, but with a little bit of a twist. Because we are looking at it and thinking, what would this be perfect for? And these days, ARM is absolutely taking over the server environment. Mm -hmm. And what we're starting to see is a transition from big, heavy, um, high-powered, high, like, uh, electrical usage um, servers that generate a lot of noise, generate a lot of heat in the server room, and a migration to these lightweight ARM servers. And, And the evolution of that is really the, dri- the, the driving factor is the single board computer. Right. It started with Raspberry Pi and has been blowing up with companies like Friendly Elec and Hard Kernel, their Odroid products. Um, and, and all the, like Pine64 have created some incredible open source boards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff is open and, and available. So um, there are so many different ones available. Mm-hmm. The Odroid N2 is one of the newer ones from 
hard kernel. And I'm going to get in here so that you can just get a, a bit of a closer look. So this is what it looks like. And you'll see I literally, literally have only two cables plugged into it. I've got gigabit Ethernet and power. And beyond that, nothing is connected. I have a micro SD card plugged in, and you can see that this thing is just flashing away, doing its thing, and I'm holding it. It's making no noise. It's making no heat. And that, ladies and gentlemen, today is going to become a web server. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So everything that we're about to learn transcends the Odroid N2. So whether you want to do this on uh, an actual physical server, if you want to do this on a different um, single board computer, because that's a lot of fun. And th this is pretty impressive to be able to run your websites off of, <clears throat> pardon me, off of a little um, single board computer like this. Mm -hmm. There are some advantages to the N2. First of all, the SOC, which we'll say is the CPU, okay? So this, the, the system on chip is on the underside of the board. You notice there is no CPU SOC on the, uh, on the visible side. It's on the underside, and then we've got this massive heat sink, which is absorbing and, and diffusing all of that heat that would be generated under normal use case. So it's a lot cooler than a lot of single board computers, and it doesn't throttle because of that. Right. So it runs really, really well. So let's get a quick uh, overview of what, uh, what this thing is. Uh, of course, uh, it's excellent value for the money. I mean, they started about $65 on Ameridroid.com. Uh, you can use our coupon code CAT5TVSUPPORTER. That will bump another dollar off. Plus, you'll, be, you'll actually be supporting the show at the same time. Um, the cheapest model comes with two gigabytes of RAM inbuilt. For an additional $15, that's all it takes, you can actually double that to four gigs. Oh. So it's a single board computer with four gigabytes of RAM. Well, what do you do for storage? As you see, I'm using a micro SD card, so I could stick like 128 gig micro SD in there if I wanted to. Uh, it's UHSI, um, and it also has uh, eMMC. So you'll see, <clears throat> On the board here, I have a port specifically for an eMMC card. So I can plug it in there, or I can use a micro SD, or I can use both and just choose which one I want to boot from. Uh, so that gives us two options for storage. Why would I go with eMMC? Any guesses? No. Versus SD. Oh. Faster? Faster, yes. That's point number one. Point number two is reliable. Right. It's much more reliable uh, for something like this. Now, I'm using an SD card just for the sake of the demonstration. It's quick and dirty, right. and I can get up and going really, really fast. If you're going to be using this as a web server, this going to be on 24-7 with a lot of reads and writes happening on the disk. You might consider switching to eMMC. It's going to be able to, it's going to last longer. But nice thing, again, is you can, you can back up the whole card. Just okay. using like a, a create a, an image of that card using DDE or uh, your favorite tool, Win32 Disk Imager or something like that, and make a complete duplicate of that card so that you can, you know, if it crashes, you can reflash yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Cool. It also has four, count one, two, three, four USB 3 full-sized ports. So yeah. if you'd like, you can plug in external storage, which I would say if you're going to be doing something, you know, with 
where you've got a lot of data, um, you could do like a RAID 1 enclosure, mm -hmm. something with two drives in it so that you've got a fair bit of storage, but also there's some redundancy there to remove the file system kind of from the SD or EMMC, move it onto USB 3, and you've got a good, fast connection to be able to serve up those files to your right. website visitors. Uh, okay, the SOC I mentioned on the bottom side is an Amlogic S922X, which gives that four Cortex-A73 cores running at 1.8 gigahertz. And then we've got two Cortex-A53 cores running at 1.9 gigahertz. So total of six cores with an average of 1.85 gigahertz. <laughs> right? So it's, it's good, per, good performance out of this little guy. Um, and we'll see that in, uh, in practice as well. I mentioned eth uh, the Ethernet is gigabit. It is true gigabit Ethernet. So whereas a Raspberry Pi uh, has, uh, what, 10 over 100? I, yeah. think, I think they brought out a gigabit version, but it's not actually gigabit. It's like 300 meg per second or yeah, something like that. Because like it shares with the USB bus. And okay. This is yeah. a dedicated... This is true. Yeah, true gigabit Ethernet. Um, it has an onboard real-time clock. And I can't emphasize that enough when it comes to the fact that we're going to be using this as a server. Because that is really, really important for yes, our server. Is. And uh, a Raspberry Pi doesn't have that. Nothing against the Raspberry Pi. That's not my, my point or my intention. I'm just saying... From single board to single board computer, there are differences, and, and it's important to understand what we need in order to make it work the way that we want it to work. Right. Now, for, uh, for our purposes as a server, I want to use the real-time clock. That's going to keep time. Now, it's got a battery uh, jack here for the RTC battery, uh, and you can just pick these up. Same place that you buy the board, and you can buy the case as well, like an extra four bucks to, to get a little case enclosure for it. Uh, but the real-time clock battery just looks like this, and it's just a button cell battery with a, a wire coming out of it. And even with the power on, I'm just going to plug that right into the RTC um, port for the battery. Now that's done. So now it has battery backup for the real-time clock. So if power ever went out for an extended time, my server's not going to lose time. And it's also going to keep on top of time, so we're not going to have to worry about um, losing time. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really important for my server. Very important. Yeah. Another server enhancement is what comes from ARMv8, uh, which is the hardware um, SSL. So okay. OpenSSL is significantly faster. Uh, so that's like a hardware, uh, crypt, the crypto extensions that uh, are part of the uh, ARM v8. Um, with that, performance on OpenSSL, which is like encryption for our websites, encryptions for our data, uh, about five times, almost five times as fast as the already impressive Odroid XU4. So significant, significant performance gain there. Um, now, I want to, you know that it's already powered up. Mm -hmm. I've got everything up and going, but I haven't installed anything. So the only thing that I've done is I've imaged Bald Nerd's um, Debian Buster SBC base image. Okay. You can get that at my blog, baldnerd.com. Um, what the base image is, is it's just Debian Buster. So Debian 10, vanilla, out of the box, it's ready to go. You just image it and boot it up. Um, so let's, uh, let's actually jump over to, I'm going to jump over to my computer and first I'm going to get a terminal window up. There we go. 
I have SSH'd into this, and with the bald nerd base image, it's simply bald nerd is the username, bald nerd is the password. Keep it simple, right? And if you ever forget your password, just look right here. <laughs> and then you'll know exactly what your password is. Okay, so that's the base image uh, comes that way. Uh, we will be learning on a future episode how to change the username and password, but for now, this is what we're going to do. So I'm going to become root by typing sudo su, and again, my password, bald nerd. Uh, and here I am on uh, Debian Buster. And running the 4.9.180 kernel. Uh, and so the first thing I need to do, because the base image comes with absolutely nothing, it's just nice and clean, first thing I want to do is df-h. And I just want to make sure that my micro SD or EMMC card has resized. I can see that it is showing the full size of 14 gigs. It's truly a 16 gig card. Uh, I'm currently using 1.1 gigs. I've got 13 gigs free. Now, if that said, you know, that the usage was... 70 or 80 percent, then that means that the resize operation failed. Right. Uh, so you'll need to correct that. But So that's important that you check that first, because if we start installing things and there's not enough space, you're going to run out of space and then you're going to have to start all over again, because you're probably going to corrupt the file system. So I know I've got 13 gigs free and I'm good to go. So git clone https colon slash slash cat5, uh, no, pardon me, github dot com slash cat5 tv slash cat5 tv dash sbc test this we have seen on the show before and this repository has uh, a couple of great tools for us uh, first of all some benchmarking things obviously uh, i've added a mysql benchmark and of course the system benchmark which gives us giggle scores is there as well but what i'm interested in is a folder called installers so do you notice where i am because i cloned in my home folder, so slash home slash bald nerd slash cat5 tv dash sbc test slash installers. And of course, the way that I get there is from my home folder. So if I do cd slash home slash bald nerd, for example, I can just type cd c space c and then I hit tab and that's a quick hot link. And then I can hit tab again and it'll give me a list of files. I can type install or in and then hit tab and it'll take me to installers, okay? So now I have a little file in there called lamp.sh and this is a really quick way to set up our lamp stack. So Linux, Apache, MySQL or MariaDB and PHP. We're going, of course, this is Debian Buster, so we're doing PHP 7.3. Keep it real, my friends. And let's take a quick look at this, just for those who are curious as to what it's actually doing. So it's going to update apt. It's going to install Apache 2, PHP 7.3, PHP 7.3-CLI. That's our command line interface for it. Some common files, curl, uh, a handful of um, packages, uh, plugins that are helpful, like GD, the imaging library, JSON support, uh, mbstring, MySQL connectivity for PHP, opcache. Yeah, so just a handful of things that are going to be helpful for this setup. And XML, SQLite, that kind of stuff. And then we've got the Apache library, uh, or pardon me, the, uh, the module for PHP 7.3, which we're going to activate later, uh, and everything else, Sodium, encryption library, all that kind of stuff. And then we see MariaDB-server, that's our MySQL server, and 
mod security is the final thing, just to add some additional security. You can change these if you want. You can modify it. Just showing you how it works. Then uh, it's going to create a root password for MySQL because these days MariaDB-Server uh, does not automatically prompt during installation for a root password. So we want to run that script. Uh, and then enabling PHP 7.3, first disabling NPM event, and then enabling PHP 7.3 and restarting Apache. And then that's it. It's done. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's actually do it. Let's just run dot slash lamp dot sh and let her go so we know that it, right now it's actually updating apt but i use that as a way to pause the screen and it's installing all that junk for us nice beautiful so what it's doing is it's getting all that stuff from the internet i didn't have to figure anything out uh, i'm just running the installer which you saw there is really just an apt script just to simplify things so i don't have to walk you through all the different packages that you're going to need just keeps Thank it simple you. Saves yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah saves us time uh, so when we come back this will be finished after the break and uh, we'll be able to take a look and see what we're able to do with our new linux apache mysql php server stick around All right, before the break, we started setting up an Odroid N2 as a, what we call a LAMP stack in the industry, but basically a web server. It's going to run our websites mm -hmm. on this little tiny single board computer that we can stick anywhere. And it just needs two cables, mm -hmm. and then we're done. That's cool. Now, one thing I forgot to cover that I really need to mention as we were talking about the real-time clock, one thing that I absolutely also need to check. So along with DF-H, I need to also type date. Okay? Make sure your single board computer, because mine has been plugged in before, and as you know, it has a real-time clock, right. so it keeps the time. Mm -hmm. um, make sure you type date first, because some of the, uh, the installer script, or even the Git clone, may fail saying something about SSL certificates um, right. failing and things like that. That means your, real, uh, your clock time is set incorrectly. Um, there's also a tool on my blog for that at baldnerd.com. Uh, and it, just do a search for nerdgasms, just like it sounds, and you'll see uh, set the Linux time and date. And that's an important uh, tool to be able to help you to do that as well. So that's really a key thing, because all of this would fail if your clock was wrong. Don't want okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is finished installing our LAMP stack. And as I mentioned when we looked over the script, now it's prompting me to set up a root uh, password. So I want to read this um, because it's all very important and we tend to skim. Running all parts of the script is recommended for MariaDB servers in production use. Please read each step carefully. In order to log into MariaDB, to secure it, we'll need the current password for the root user. There isn't one, so it's just enter. If you've just installed MariaDB and you, uh, you haven't set the root password yet, the password will be blank, so you just push enter here. That's what it says. Uh, that is redundant to what I just said. Maybe <laughs> I should just read. Yeah. Uh, so enter. Okay. Do I want to set the root password? Uh, setting the root password ensures that nobody can log in to MariaDB root user without the proper authorization. Well, yes, I absolutely want that. New password. Setting it. There we go. Okay. This is important too. 
by default, a MariaDB installation has an anonymous user. Ooh. That sounds like bad news for a production server, right? Uh, so this anonymous user uh, comes pre-installed. Um, so somebody can log in without having a user account created for them. This is intended only for testing and to make the installation go a bit smoother. So you should remove them before moving into a production environment. Remove the anonymous accounts? Yes. yes. All right, done. Success. Normally, root users should not be allowed to connect uh, from the outside of your local host, okay? So this ensures that someone cannot guess at the root password from the network. What the heck does that mean? Uh, okay, so if I am standing in the same network and I'm SSH'd into that server, I can connect to MySQL as root via local host. Right. Okay. Um, if, however, I'm somebody on another, in somewhere else in the world, connecting to my server from outside of my network, and trying to connect to it by the host name, like uh, whatever.com, or the IP address, it's going to say, no, no root access is allowed. So it's just a little bit of, uh, yeah, it just solidifies things. So disallow. You can't have remote tech support if something goes wrong, though. No, because you can still SSH into it and then access it through localhost. Oh, okay. But that's, it's almost like a, you have to have your SSH access, whether yes. it be strong password encryption. Uh, I suggest even having that blocked off in the firewall by default. We are going to look at hardening this server in two weeks' time, uh, possibly next week if there is time on next week's show. Okay. We are going to look at adding a firewall. I'm going to talk a little bit about Perfect. that as well, uh, as well as LFD, log login failure daemon, which will monitor for things like incorrect passwords on SSH and block IP addresses based on that. So, cool. But that is a bit of a digression. Okay, so do we want to disallow root login remotely? Yes, we only want localhost to be able to log in as root. By default, MariaDB also comes with a database called Test that anyone can access. This is also intended only for te testing and should be removed before moving it into production. Do we want to? Yes. Success. Reloading the privileges table will ensure that all the changes made so far will take effect immediately. Yes. Done. Now, at any point, if you hit no. Can you go back and amend these? Theoretically, yes. The script is built for that. However, I have experienced difficulty with that. Okay. So I would suggest that you just say yes. Yeah, take your time and yeah, read, read it through. That would okay. be the advisable course of action. But I would say yes to every question that it asks because these are very crucial yeah. um, security issues. they're not going to try and trick you. They, no. They are educating you mm -hmm. on why you're saying yes. And now, just like my Debian install, which is insecure because it's using the default username and password at this point, uh, but it is uh, vanilla. So it's now it's clean. There's no test databases. There's no test users. There is only a root user, and I am the only one who knows that password. And so it is much more hardened than it was out of the box. So that's ready for us. So now if I do system CTL, you don't have to do this. I just want to do this for the sake of the demonstration. Status Maria DB. I can see that it's active running. Okay. See that in green? Hit Q. System CTL status um, Apache 2. Active and running. And our script will have already pre-configured and set up uh, PHP 7.3 as operational. So I'm going to go into cd slash var slash www. Now, keep in mind, this folter is, well, it looks like HTML is owned by root. 
So if I go into HTML, I have to be root in order to manipulate this. But let's, uh, let's zoom out a little bit here. I'm going to bring up my browser, and we're actually going to connect to that computer. So uh, one, uh, sorry, 10.0.0.123. There it is, my default Apache Debian page. So that is the index.html file. So back at my SSH, if I modify that index.html in var www.html, we know exactly what's going to happen there, right? Uh, I'm going to go down to the body. And here, let's just for the sake of showing you, Robbie's test page and then write that out and now over here refresh oh see look at that. that's the index.html file so we also want to know that uh, our PHP is working so let's actually make a PHP file um, touch uh, test.php now if I edit that file and open a PHP uh, brace there and we'll type uh, PHP info Okay, and write that out. Now, back at my browser, if all went well with our installation script, which was not onerous by any stretch, test.php. PHP is running version 7.3.4-2. And we can see it's running on Linux Debian 4.9.180, just as we saw earlier on the show. So now this thing is a real, legit web server. Mm -hmm. I can start uploading my... Uh, website to it. I can start serving up websites from it. All I need to do is just open up port for uh, port 80 if I want to give access to non-SSL encrypted um, content, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, 443 if I want to start securing things, which we'll need to set up as well, probably with Let's Encrypt or something like that. But it's entirely operational, and this thing runs so well. Cool. Yeah. It's easy. You can host. WordPress on it. Yeah. You can host just your own custom files on it. You can, you can even, if you wanted to, you could just upload, uh, let's say I made a directory, make dir uh, test. And in that directory, I touch a file, well, let's nano a file, uh, test.txt and hello, right? So there's just a text file in a folder called test. So if I go into that folder, I can see that this is a directory tree containing the file test.txt. So that could be like family photos that I want to share with my family. Uh, it could be anything at all that I put in here that someone else can download. So now if they see the directory tree because there's no index.php or index.html. And if I click on that file, it has the file. So it says, hello. I know it's getting cut off a little bit on the screen, but there you go. So you can almost make your own kind of Dropbox a little bit. Yeah, you'd be putting it on that system, and anyone who has the IP address to get to it, whether it be on your LAN or through the WAN, if you've got uh, that set up in your firewall, they'll be able to access it. It is a web server. That's cool. In a single-board computer with a real-time clock. Super cool. And it's only hmm. as low as $65. Let's get our head around that for a second. $65. If you want the two gig model, incredible. Eighty dollars if you want the four gig. Yeah, thereabouts. That's amazing. It's astonishing. Like this is, I come from a like a universe of you need a, a four thousand dollar server. Like back in the day, yeah. back in the day when I was learning all this stuff, 
it was big it was heavy it was loud it if you plugged it in your hydro bill is going up mm-hmm. yes like this is what i come from and now it's like that wowzers that's awesome it's awesome now is there a load capacity for something like this oh sure so i don't know that i'd ever hit it well probably not but i mean you know say you created some amazing blog and you had a million oh, yeah. views a day would it crash it no I doubt it. Well, I mean, you, you could experiment with that. Um, my concern, and if, if I got that popular on, on my hosted solution on, on here, would be the reads and writes happening on the disk. Right. Right? Because it's an EMMC card, I don't want to have a lot of reads and writes happening. Um, but if that was ever the case, Jeff, I would move like slash var slash log to, um, yeah, I could put it on an iSCSI, I could put it on an external right. device, something like that, something that is not reading and writing to that card all the time and then the card can just be the uh the operating system and the the like the serving up of the the software very cool right? so um as benchmark wise um i am going to be um providing some really awesome benchmarks for this board with this particular setup uh, as a lamp server uh in the july issue of odroid magazine so make sure you you grab a copy of that episode uh, that issue and you'll be able to see uh my mysql um benchmarks i create over a million uh, entries within MySQL and benchmark them, uh, and crazy. also benchmarking the system itself. So, uh, so we'll see how it performs. But uh, it's doing it's it runs really really well. I'm oh, happy nice. with it. Absolutely. Have you giggle scored it yet? I have. It is. If we look at gigglescore.com, so jumping over there, uh, we can see that the Odroid N2 is in second place for Bob Rank, which is the best of both worlds. Um, the Giggle score, it puts it in fourth place, and the LZMA Rank, which is the multi-threaded benchmark, it's in first place from all the boards that we currently benchmark, which is 42 boards. That's amazing. So, um, so it... It does come second on the Bob rank to the Odroid XU4, and that is essentially because um, the Odroid XU4 is second place for LZMA, the benchmark itself, performance. Um, the Giggle score is in third place for the XU4 right. versus the N2 at 4 gigabytes. Uh, the Giggle score is a little bit higher because it is... you. you in context, you're paying a little bit more for the performance, but you're getting a lot more as well. Right. Right. So we do need to weigh that in context, but it is currently at this time in second place on gigglescore.com. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So check them out. Go to Ameridroid.com. Please support those who support us. And uh, at Ameridroid.com, find yourself the board that's right for you. Uh, if you have questions, I mean, it's a really tough time to figure out which SBC am I going to buy. So I want to give you use cases that are potentially useful, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So this one is going to be a really nice lamp stack for sure. Um, Send in your questions. If you're not too sure, which one should I buy? Which one is right for my use case? It really comes down to, as as we're looking at gigglescore.com, realizing, okay, well, these are the the ones that are like top five best value for the money. Uh, Odroid XU4, Odroid N2, which we're looking at today, the Raspberry Pi 3 Model A+, the Nano Pi M4, and the Raspberry Pi 
3 Model B+. Plus. So keeping in mind, okay, well, Raspberry Pi is on there twice. Well, they're the best value for the money in the top five, but they do not provide nearly the performance right. that you're getting from this. So it's like weighing, you, you need to weigh all the factors and say, okay, well, yeah. we need really good performance because, as you say, if your blog gets popular, it needs to still continue running really, really right. well and not be giving errors, right? Yeah. Um, serving up 500 errors on Apache and things like that. So, so that's why we need something a little more powerful, and I would probably, if you, if you expect to get big or serve up a lot of stuff, I would go with the 4-gig model just by default. And you're still sub-100 bucks with the accessories. So, you know, that's fantastic. It's a good deal. Super good cool. deal. Yeah, send us an email live at category5.tv if you are curious. And I mentioned Ameridroid.com. Don't forget we have a coupon code CAT5TV supporter, which will give you a, a small discount, but also will uh, will lend some support to uh, Category 5 TV as well. So we appreciate you using that. All right, we do. Uh, we need to head over to the newsroom if you're uh, ready for us. I sure am. Excellent. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.tv newsroom. Uber has said Australia will become the first international market for its flying taxi service, Uber Air. The retro-inspired Linux-powered Atari VCS gaming console is finally inching towards general release in America. The United States Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure... Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, has gone public with a warning to Microsoft Windows users regarding a critical security vulnerability. And Facebook has finally revealed the details of its cryptocurrency, Libra, which will let you buy things or send money to people with nearly zero fees. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom. Covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Uber has said Australia will become the first international market for its flying taxi service, Uber Air. The firm has selected Melbourne as the third pilot city for its air taxi program, joining Dallas and Los Angeles. Test flights are due to start from 2020, with the aim of launching commercial operations from 2023. Several companies are developing flying taxis as a future mode of transportation. Uber said increased air mobility would help ease traffic congestion in cities. Eric Allison, global head of the firm's aviation division, Uber Elevate, says, quote, as major cities grow, the heavy reliance on private car ownership will not be sustainable. He goes on to say Uber Air holds enormous potential to help reduce road congestion, end quote. He said 19... The 19-kilometer journey from Melbourne's central business district to the airport would take some 10 minutes with Uber Air, down from up to an hour by car. Uber is working with NASA and the U.S. Army on its flying taxis and has two aircraft manufacturers, Embraer and Pipstrel Aircraft, also on board. Last year, the company said it would open a laboratory in Paris to develop flying taxis. Uber is not the only company experimenting with flying taxis, reminiscent of the mode of transportation in the American cartoon The Jetsons. Tech 
firms are competing to develop the first viable passenger-carrying sky taxis, while Airbus and a range of startups have also been testing self-flying taxis. Dubai conducted its first test of a drone-based taxi service in 2017. Separately, a firm funded by Google founder Larry Page has unveiled an electric self-flying air taxi that can travel up to 180 kilometers an hour or 110 miles per hour. Nice. This is the future, folks. That's it. We will cut down on road construction costs. You figure if they can, I, I mean, with autonomous vehicles, they can use LiDAR. Yes. Right to avoid collisions and and make them kind of work like a, uh, like following tracks, if you will, not literal tracks, but mm-hmm. following the like paths that are laid out. Yeah. yeah, and avoiding obstacles, and, and so move that to the air. And it's like if they just, it's like sci-fi. If they get up to speed and the, the, they just merge mm-hmm. in, and the computer takes care of the rest and makes sure everybody's cool. No bad drivers anymore, because if it's autonomous. I, I, I know that there, this is the way of the future. Mm. But I feel like to put a date on it of, oh, by 2023. How real is that? Well, yeah, like, we have a hard time merging lanes onto the highway. Imagine you're driving, and it's like, oh, look, you know, car comes in and merges in Sounds front of you. awesome. Like, that's going to freak people out. I feel like if you're going to go down that road to say, we're going to have air taxi, Either A, it has to be not available for driving on a regular road. Because if what if it could take, double? Nah, I couldn't. Because nah. if somebody just takes off or lands, like you're going to throw drivers out of... I don't think it's think going to be an air slash like, road. Yeah, they'd have to have like, landing zones, air. right? And it'll be probably from pad to pad, yeah. Yeah, I, I would, would think. expect so. And I would also think that it wouldn't be so high as to be called like an actual aircraft. Like It's not going to be where if you fall, right. you get super damaged well this is a thing like mm. i know right? I in some cities although it's traveling 180 kilometers an hour well right, right but i mean like you've got some cities where i think it's uh, is it 100 meters you're not allowed to fly lower than for aviation rules like yeah, i think sure i think for where, where cat 5 is filmed i think it's 100 100 okay 100 meters maybe because mm. then you'll see planes fly over and it's like wow they seem low but they're quite far right. i mean if, yeah, if yeah. you you know, allow for, say, an Uber Air that's under that threshold so that it doesn't get picked up by air traffic control and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Like, what does that mean? I mean, now you're you're talking, oh. like, maybe 25 feet nah. above the car. Like, you run into some real issues, especially if it's a sharp turn. Like, Nah, I would I would think it's as the bird flies, Jeff. It's going to have to be. Yes. Like, it, like we take off, and it's going to be part of the air. Uh, air traffic control is going to know about them. They're not hiding from them. I think that's going to freak them right out. Like, no, no. Like you got, they've like, got air lanes. They've got lanes in, in the air. I know, but imagine Pearson Airport in Toronto. You've got all these planes coming in. You're trying yeah, to yeah. control it all. Suddenly, you've got these little blips going, just flying all over the place. Like, it's going to no, go nuts. No, because these days, it's all GPS, Jeff. It's still going to It's not all. It's not like radar. They're not like... No, but sonar. I, I think... He's picturing sonar. No, no, I'm not picturing sonar, but I think from a... like. A broader society impact. I think there's a lot more infrastructure and social awareness that needs to be brought in. Before yeah, you can oh just yeah. Say, oh, this is a service we're going to provide. I think society is not quite ready to integrate to that kind of service yet. I feel like the warranty on my car like ends in 2023. I can just like start <laughs> taking an Uber taxi, sure, Uber Air taxi, and zip around. Believe me, like in in any city where there's construction. Yeah, like. 
Yeah, I oh, don't yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah, that's no longer an issue. But that's no longer an issue. Barry, Ontario, Canada, where every road is under construction right now. Right, but think of There's only one left open. Like, I'm a commuter. I go to Toronto all the time, and so I'll sit in traffic for an hour and a half. Well, don't anymore. No, I hear you, but imagine all the people that are going to go, yeah, you need to get this in Toronto because I'm. And suddenly you've got, you know, all these vehicles zipping everywhere. You're going to have problems. I don't think as a society we're ready yet. The infrastructure is too great to have like a 2020 I would put life. money on they're going to be autonomous because I don't think people it's are ready be. for it no. but I think the technology is I ready th- for I it. I don't know. Robot. You I don't think we're ready for it yet as a society. Those. I think we need to have more infrastructure. Of course. But do keep in mind so as we think of in- infrastructure th- it's a very limited test base. Right. A few cities basically. So they're building the infrastructure in as they create the pilot projects right. so presumably that's part of the process it's not just f- put a whole bunch of things in the air like yeah. they're going to have to build infrastructure that can track them and and help the autonomous autonomous vehicle to be able to um mm-hmm. to be able to manipulate the the roads basically right. the air roads so. i will say one thing i am shocked that there isn't a test city in a colder climate Mm, like if they're battery operated, maybe, te- per- maybe that's on purpose. Yeah, why didn't we become a test mm. city? Because we have really good cold winters, well, and we would like to but, test. But look at Australia. I mean, they've got the desert in the middle where it's crazy hot. Nothing can live there, essentially. It's so right. nuts. But then you go to Sorry the southern, if you live there. But then you go to the southern fringe, and they do get snow. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Australia is pretty broad so as far as weather goes. But so see, for a service like this, and I know we have to go to the next news story, I could see, instead of jumping city to city around the coast of Australia, I could see them going, hey, we don't have you know a lot of straightforward roads that go through the middle of the whatever the desert in Australia is called. So let's just hop up to the northern end and then down to the bottom end. I could totally see that working because it's not as population dense with buildings mm. and people. Right. Just what are your goes. thoughts? Dingoes. What are your thoughts? Big termite. Health. I think it's exciting. I like it. The retro-inspired Linux-powered Atari VCS gaming console is finally inching towards general release in America. The system is on general pre-order from Atari VCS web store as well as retail partners GameStop and Walmart. But you won't get your console until March. Those retro game, gaming fans who backed the Atari VCS crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo won't have to wait quite as long as the console is expected to ship to backers in December. Unlike similar retro consoles from Nintendo, Sega, and Sony, the Atari VCS is a living console that's not limited to the games it ships with. It lets you play classic Atari games, but it also lets you buy and play newer titles. Online video streaming from sites like Netflix will also be available on the machine. This adds some versatility, making the machine more of a media and entertainment hub than simply a retro-themed console. The base Atari VCS 400 features an AMD processor, embedded Vega graphics, 32GB EMC, and 4GB of RAM. It costs a cool $249 with controllers sold separately. The Atari VCS 800 offers the same specs as the base model, but with a dual, a double, with double the RAM at 8 gigabytes. It sells for $279. Again, controllers are sold separately. Finally, there's an all-inclusive bundle featuring the Atari VCS 800 and both modern and retro VCS controllers. This costs $389. 
Just to spice things up, there will be exclusive models to hunt down. A gold version sold at Walmart, a wood-fronted model exclusive to the Atari web store, and a pure black model with red accents sold at GameStop. The VCS also lets owners boot and or install other Linux distros like Ubuntu and operating systems from a USB drive, which is handy if you get bored with what comes in the box and want to run Steam. So far, there's no word on any international release. That's awesome. I love retro gaming. Yeah. Who's buying one? Oh, probably me. Yeah. I, not for that price point. I think that's pretty good, Jeff. I Come on now. Great. Don't be a hater. What? Like retro gaming? I, I love retro gaming, but there's cheaper options out there than $389. Oh, yeah. Like You jumped automatically to the most expensive one, which I also would Okay, fine. 269 or 79 whatever yeah. it was. But still, like... I mean, you can go out and buy a PS4 for 400 bucks. But that's not retro, You Jeff. probably already have that. a PS4 if you're really excited about it, and then you really want this too. I just, yeah. I think and the you want to buy it high. in black and red so it matches your PS4. I want the, the form factor. I want that <laughs> retro look. Like, I'm dying to find a VIC 20. I yeah, really sure. want a VIC 20. I don't care what I'm going to use it for. Right. I just, and you're going to pay out the wazoo to. To get one at this point, it's going to be on eBay or something. Well, you just got to get the shell. You can find it. Yeah, but rare. Yeah, that would be a good idea. And stick like a, a SBC in it. Yeah. Ooh, I love that idea. Yeah. But here's one that comes already. Like it's a computer. If I can install Linux on it, that's great. Well, exactly. And yeah. uh, that that means to me, I'm buying a computer for that, and it's got this sexy retro form factor of an Atari VCS. There's definitely a big market for this. Yeah. It's oh, got sure. my interest, yeah. for sure. Uh, I just, I it is two for three. It's it two like, for three. If they said 150 bucks, I'd be all over it. Right. I do understand that it I'll is expensive. I'll let you borrow mine for 150 bucks. <laughs> but it's an investment. In, in happiness. In happiness, Jeff. Come in on. In happiness. <sighs> we have long winters. We've discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> The United States Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, has gone public with a warning to Microsoft Windows users regarding a critical security vulnerability. By issuing the Update Now warning, CISA has joined the likes of Microsoft itself and the NSA in warning Windows users of the dangers from the Blue Keep vulnerability. This latest warning comes hot on the heels of a statement from Yaniv Balmas, the global head of cyber research at security vendor Checkpoint. He says, quote, it's now a race against the clock by cyber criminals, which makes this vulnerability a ticking cyber bomb, end quote. Balmas also predicted that it will only be a matter of weeks before attackers started exploiting Bluekeep. The CISA alert appears to confirm this, stating that it has, quote, coordinated with external stakeholders and determined that Windows 2000 is vulnerable to Bluekeep, end quote. That, that it can confirm a remote code execution on Windows 2000 might not sound too frightening. This is an old operating system, after all. It would be unwise to classify this as an exercise in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Until now, the exploits that have been developed, at least those seen in operation, did nothing more than crash the computer. Achieving remote code execution brings the specter of the Blue Keep worm into view as it brings the control of infected machines to the attacker. Just under 1 million internet facing machines are vulnerable to Blue Keep on port 3389, used by the Microsoft Remote Desktop feature. But that's just the tip of this insecurity iceberg. These 
These are a million gateways to potentially many millions more, more machines that sit on the internal networks that they lead to. A wormable exploit can move laterally within that network, rapidly spreading to anything and everything it can infect in order to replicate and spread. Here's the real stinger, that it can include machines in an active directory domain even if there's no blue keep vulnerability to exploit. The machine running the vulnerable remote desktop protocol is merely the gateway. Once compromised, we could see an outbreak as widespread as WannaCry from back in 2017. The NSA urged Microsoft Windows administrators and users to ensure that they are using a patched and updated system in the face of the growing threat. Microsoft itself has twice now published warnings about Blue Keep, including one that was reported as begging users to update their Windows installations. Mm -hmm. This is another case of that old computer that we have running in the back room that nobody really uses anymore, so it's not a concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that is a very big concern. Right. I, I almost, like, as you're going through the news story, I'm thinking, okay, what do we say about this? Because, like, oh, it's another one again. But mm. I'm, I'm starting to wonder, is there not a way for, uh, you know, like router developers and, and network companies to develop kind of an internal firewall system that blocks between computers yep. so that if one computer gets infected, that it can't automatically spread to other computers. Yep. How, like, that right. would kind of bring this to a slower development, I would think, so that you can catch it up before it sure. just kind of goes nuts. It's called EDR, Jeff. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, it exists. Okay. I guess just because I use the home router, I've never really paid attention to it. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm thinking my thoughts. How do you? People got to pay for it. People have mm -hmm. to pay Fair for enough. security. Okay. But if you if you have like thousands of computers on a massive like business network, you're gonna want to pay. You would think that, but then you hear about <laughs> cities. <laughs> Fair I enough. Don't. Right. Enough. And 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 speaking of cities not to point any fingers or anything like that but we heard about how cities um, <laughs> are pointing the finger at the NSA and saying okay well this ransomware got in through eternal blue eternal blue being the one that was exploited by WannaCry the NSA exploit back in 2017 mm -hmm. so now isn't it interesting that the NSA is involved in unveiling and warning people about this exploit. Right. Oh, here's another one just like that one. Right. Let's make sure you get patched so that in right. hindsight, in, uh, retroactively, somebody can't come and say it was your fault. Yeah, exactly. Right? So this could be, like, potentially devastating. Yes. So this is there a way that they could just go in and brick the systems that don't like say patch now or we're breaking your system <laughs> no nah. they can't because nah. they're really good at Not breaking things during updates that would that so. would cause problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah no absolutely. but i just feel like if if people if it's the neglect of like maintaining your system that's going to cause this massive problem for everybody including the people who are taking care <laughs> then Here's the, here's the thing. So uh, I'm looking at ESED Enterprise Inspector. So um, 
minimum number of computers is 250 computers. Okay. And the cost is going to be about $10,000 for the year okay, in Canadian dollars. Com- computers, that's right. Can, yeah. We're looking at $38, $39 per device. So, yeah. uh, but um, that's Canadian. Yep. So that's about $40 American. <laughs> Um, but so keep that in mind. So, so it's expensive to protect oneself. What an enterprise inspector or an EDR solution does is it monitors the traffic. It monitors the things that are happening on the network so that it can proactively uh, block certain right. types of activity. So here's the problem. You have that old Windows 2000 system that's susceptible to this exploit, mm-hmm. and, and it gets compromised. Now, as your story said, but just to kind of... I almost dumb it down a little bit, but um, now that they've gained access to that, that becomes an entry point for everything else that they want to do. And because it's on the LAN, it's a trusted device, typically, right? So my computer has access to everything on my network because it's my computer and I want access to everything on my network. So if some hacker compromises my computer, now they have access to everything on my network. And you don't even know all the things that you have on your network. I see like C dollar sign being shared on Windows Samba within an internal network. So your whole hard drive is just wide open to anyone on the LAN, right? Like the ransomware, have fun, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. So it's, it really just comes down to the money piece. Can we spend the money to keep ourselves protected? Can you afford to not be protected? That's, that's a great point, Sasha. Um, Jeff, like what, what if a small company, so look at some, someone smaller, 30 computers, right? How would something like that impact a business that has 30 computers? So presumably 30 staff members and, and think about their bottom line and okay, you're, you're shut down. Your entire network is gone. All of your customer data stolen. And that could kill a business. You would probably, if, if the actual event doesn't destroy your business and cause you to go bankrupt the lawsuits from your customers yes the, that will yeah you're, you're done so what's ten thousand dollars mm-hmm. in in Versus. light of that right right like like we really have to look at it in in in, pers- in that perspective so back to the stone age yeah <laughs> Facebook has finally revealed the details of its cryptocurrency, Libra, which will let you buy things or send money to people with nearly zero fees. You'll be able to buy or cash out your Libra online or at a local exchange point like grocery stores and spend it using third-party wallet apps or Facebook's own Calibra wallet that can be built into WhatsApp Messenger and the Facebook app. It won't um, Facebook won't fully control Libra, but instead just get a vote, a single vote in its governance like any other founding members of the Libra Association, including Visa, Uber, and venture capital firm Andresen Horowitz. Each have invested at least $10 million into the project's operations. The association will promote the open source Libra blockchain and developer platform with its own move programming language, plus sign up businesses to accept Libra for payment and even give customers 
discounts or rewards. Facebook is launching a subsidiary company also called Calibra that handles its crypto dealings and protects users' privacy by never mingling your Libra payments with your Facebook data so it can't be used for ad targeting. Your real identity won't be tied to your publicly visible transactions, but Facebook, Calibra, and other founding members of the Libra Association will earn interest on the money users cash in that is held in reserve to keep the value of Libra stable. Facebook wants to make Libra the evolution of PayPal. It's hoping Libra will become simpler to set up, more ubiquitous as a payment method, more efficient with, newer, with fewer fees, more accessible to the unbanked, more flexible thanks to developers, and more long-lasting through decentralization. Facebook writes in its Libra documentation, quote, success will mean that a person working abroad has a fast and simple way to send money to family back home and a college student can pay their rent as easily as they can buy a coffee, end quote. Hmm. Facebook has the power to make this happen. Yes. Facebook do. has the power to reverse the damage that's been done to the cryptocurrency market uh, in the eyes of the layperson by hackers by ransomware and things like that because bitcoin and and cryptocurrency becomes the hackers currency so now facebook doing libra all of a sudden it's something accessible to consumers maybe 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 we'll get some confidence in the blockchain but do we ha still have confidence in facebook <laughs> well, it's an association, though. Yeah. So Visa's involved, as That's, you mentioned, yeah. Uber and, and some, some heavy investors. And right. Facebook is, you know, at the technology forefront of it. And, and maybe they'll be able to utilize this technology to move some of their assets off of the centralized model and mm -hmm. into decentralization, which is really, really um, could be groundbreaking in and of itself. But also they're mentioning that they're hoping to achieve a stable cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. which is really, really interesting. What would that mean to the cryptocurrency market? Because if you, here's the problem with Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies of today. I don't feel confident to buy it as anything other than a hopeful investment that it will go up mm -hmm. in value. If I were to buy something with my cryptocurrency, my Bitcoin, and all of a sudden it goes from $1,000 to $20,000, now I just, I just paid $2 million for my car right, right. Like, so it, there's there's so much fear in using the currency if i accept it as a payment and it goes from twenty thousand dollars to one thousand dollars i just lost everything and could go bankrupt because of that so if they're able right. to stabilize the cryptocurrency now all of a sudden it is something that's viable as for transactions mm -hmm. where businesses will be interested in using it for purchasing and and selling right I wonder, I mean, if it's partnered with Visa, I'm assuming you'll have a card, and I'm wondering oh, sure, if the yeah. card will like, look like a bank. It will act like, like a bank. It's, wow. Like, it's an interesting comment, uh, the next evolution of PayPal. Well, we're already used to electronic currency, so cryptocurrency mm -hmm. seems so foreign and so scary, but we're already used to PayPal. I yeah. don't have that money. It's in their mm -hmm. website, um, and up until... Uh, a couple years back, you, there was a MasterCard that was connected to your account. Now, yeah. they cut that off for Canada, which sucks. Sure. PayPal sucks in Canada. It's terrible. Yeah. It's so much so that I have switched our accounts over to Payoneer, and they 
are sending me a MasterCard. Fantastic, right? Uh, and Payoneer, by the way, I'm very impressed with so far. So uh, if you're interested in them, ask me because they have a referral program where both of us will get uh, uh, a bonus. Oh, nice. 20, 25 bucks cool. if, if you sign up through me. So, um, but, um, so who knows? I think that it, could, it could change cryptocurrency. But right. I, I took a step back from Facebook, as we all yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't necessarily want to Facebook, lean back the comp- in, I know, the, but the I don't, but I feel organization, like though. if you can only access it through those, like I, I wouldn't mind knowing that there would be a, like a separate standalone, not through WhatsApp, not through Facebook, not through there Messenger. Is. Right? There are, I would want, yes. I would, Third-party apps. Right. Um, would, they have developer, open source developer base that mm-hmm. other people can develop applications using their blockchain. Right. So it's all, it, it's all there. It's just that the companies, the association has the control over oh. the currency, which I believe means that they control the, the, cr- the generation of the coins. It must mean that. Like they must have, just like our government controls the flow of money into right. the economy, like cash monies. Um, they must be controlling the flow of cryptocurrency in order to keep it as a stable market. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, like, how else would they do it, right? Uh, um, okay, so that brings me to my concern. Make it quick. I've got to get onto the cryptocurrency report. You know, Okay. <laughs> they want to stabilize it. There's all these multinational companies that yeah, are yeah. shareholders in it. All it takes is a quick decision of, hey, you know what, let's drop the value of it. Yeah, your government can do that. No, I understand that, but there's more at play within the stock market because this is not within the stock market. You're Mm. throwing a whole other element of having corporate control over a currency-based system that potentially has global implications. And if they decide to go belly up or cause any issues, the whole economy that's built upon it goes and drops too. So to say they've decentralized it is only half true. It may be decentralized, but it's still conglomerately owned so that there is the risk of it going belly up. Say Visa goes bankrupt. Mm, it, it can't go belly up. It's decentralized. It's I not possible. Think, but th- but what can change it. is the value of the currency. But that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is go, oh, we've made a bad business decision. And the value goes, Ksh-ing. And it just drops out. Like mm. uh, There's so many issues with this. And the fact that it's Facebook, I instantly go, I'm not going to touch it. And especially when they go, oh, we're going to protect your data. Yeah. Okay. We have to see where the value in Libra comes from. Mm-hmm. Who, who, uh, how is the value created? Bitcoin, it's through the, the, it's the mining process. And how many coins are there? That's where the value comes from. I am looking forward to it being added to your crypto report. It's already there, Sasha. Is it? It is at a value of $0 today. Because it doesn't exist yet. Uh, Bitcoin, however, is up. And this is, again, talking about that stability of the market. Bitcoin has gained $1,056 in the past week. Mm -hmm. So it's up to $9,161.74 U.S. Litecoin is at $138.72 U.S., also gaining. Um, Everything's gained this week, other than Facebook Libre. Libra. Excuse me. (coughs) That's the first time that's ever happened live, <laughs> which is amazing. In 12 years, I've never sneezed on air. Welcome to yes. allergies. Thank you. 
Uh, Litecoin, again, 138.72. Ethereum is at 268.09. Monero is at 99.80, gaining 10 bucks uh, and a little bit more. Torque is at 0.95, 10 thousandths of a cent. And Turtlecoin at 0. Uh, pardon me, at 1.36, 10 thousandths of a cent, gaining point. 39. Uh, do remember, if you're going to invest or play around with the cryptocurrency market, it never closes and is always volatile. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. Welcome back to Category 5 Technology TV. Exciting things on the horizon like... Well, now I'm really under pressure. I just I wanted to talk about what happens when a centralized service goes down. Exciting things like what happens when a centralized service goes down. <laughs> Robbie, take it away. <laughs> this week and this month has yeah. been ridiculous. Google. Google. I know. Has gone down twice. Okay, I, Think about okay. that. This I've is why this both, scares me. I've heard about it going down twice now. I have yet to have experienced it. Right. I experience it when the phones ring, Jeff. So here's the, here's the issue. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Good yeah, job. Because I'm in IT. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, the phone starts ringing because customers have, not, not by our own recommendation, but have started moving services. A lot of people are using like uh, G Suite right. for email. Right, you know, using Gmail for your business email. So right. you get your, um, and as a matter of fact, I use Gmail for Category Five TV. Um, so any email goes through Gmail. Well, if Gmail goes down, I lose access to my email. But here's what happened this week: um, Google Calendar went down. Right. Now we have a situation now where businesses and lots and lots of businesses use Google Calendar. They use Google Calendar, and what does it mean when they have no access to any of their appointments? Missed meetings! Mm, who knows, right? Lost revenue, right. missed, yeah, missed I mean, stuff. I know, I'm just a small, like, person in the whole situation. We're but not I, talking about your height here, but Sasha. I use my Google Calendar... <laughs> for my work shifts and then on each work well, shift it. I track my kilometers well I just added into my notes on my Google Calendar so that later when I'm going to log my kilometers I just go in oh I drove 50 kilometers that day this oh, many okay right? well that's important right, right? mileage so yeah. th like I use Google Calendar for life organization sure it set I, I have my reminders set up through there my tasks everything if Google Calendar went down which it I, did which it did yeah but uh, somehow it didn't affect me, which I'm confused by. But um, if it went down for any amount of time, I don't know what I'd do because mm. I trust it. 
to stay there and be exactly so and you think about google as a a decentralized business you think of it as a cloud-based service that will never go down well Mm -hmm. we've seen this month that it happened twice and google calendar going down man like that's devastating to a business if i didn't have access to my calendar i would be lost like my calendar is like a list this is my list for the day and it would be nuts if i didn't know what was going on or who i was supposed to call at what time what service call I was doing, what remote accessing I was supposed to be doing at whatever time, and it could be potentially devastating to my business as mm-hmm. well. So um, a little tip for you if you found yourself affected by that, and maybe this is how you got around it, if you use the app. Now, with this particular service issue, the outage was, in fact, their web services, so through the browser. So if you were accessing oh, okay. it through the web browser, uh, going to google.com and clicking on your calendar, right? Uh, If you had the app on your phone, uh, then you would presumably have still been able to access it. That's why. That's exactly how that happened for me. Yeah, there you go. So, So if that ever happened again, and it was brutally affecting your day, you could... Hopefully, if it was the same issue, not that it will ever happen again, but if you use the app, you should be able to access it because it's different ports, different service. But that's that was the workaround this time around but because it happened and nobody was ready for it and google was being they still haven't told us what happened right uh, not being transparent switch yeah somebody tripped over the cable <laughs> in the like, server somebody hit the a reset crack button. in the foundation of my confidence with it like now sure. i'm just like a little hesitant See, i can deal with service outage i can't deal with data breach so service sure. outage i i'm like yeah, yeah, okay yeah. it happens yeah like but that just reveals to us that even if we're working with such a huge company as Google, there is the potential to go down. So we need to be prepared for it. It's not about printing your calendar every day, but maybe um, synchronizing your iCal file or, mm-hmm. you know, do, again, your backups. Is, uh, I have talked about uh, Google Drive offline. Well, if Google Drive ever went down, at least I'd be able to access my most recent stuff right. on my laptop yep. because I have Drive offline, uh, and which is another reason it's important for me to get Chrome working on the Pinebook because I want to have that offline. Um, so all these considerations, it's like, wow, even though I always have access to it, what if it went down? What if it was actually down? And it doesn't ever happen. It happened twice this month. So, uh, Scary could, stuff. Yeah, well, could be, could be. Uh, but that's all the time that we have for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for everyone who has pitched in this week, uh, be it through Patreon or uh, through shopping with any of our partners. Um, we uh, we greatly appreciate and and uh, and basically we're able to do this because of your contributions that's how we're able to pay the rent and all the bills that we uh, that we have here as you can imagine they they can be fairly high and uh so if you uh, if you supported us this this week i appreciate that very very much and i thank you um we are on twitter at category 5 tv uh you can also follow me personally at robbie ferguson uh we're on youtube as you can imagine category 5 technology tv or head on over to linuxtechshow.com sorry and or 
You need yes. to kick me every time I say or. That's true. Uh, you yeah. need to subscribe to both Category 5 Technology TV and Linux Tech Show because um, it, with that subscription, it's the Category 5 Technology TV that's going to ding you when we are live, and it's the other one, Linux Tech Show, that's going to ding you when we post little videos. Um, so you want to subscribe to both of those. We're also on Roku's channel store, uh, so you can install us through that. Uh, you can get us on Plex or Kodi through our GitHub, which is Cat5TV. And uh, our main website ties everything together. We've got our RSS feeds and access on Google Podcasts and everything else. That is Category5.tv. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Have a great week. See ya. Bye.